Welcome to Legal Tips, a podcast series from the Tort Trial and Insurance Practice section of the American Bar Association, also known as TIPS. As leaders in trial practice and issues of justice involving tort and insurance law, TIPS brings together plaintiffs, defense, corporate, and in-house counsel to tackle issues confronting the legal profession. Welcome to Legal Tips. I'm John Tarpley, the 2008-2009 TIPS chair elect and today's host. Legal Tips is designed to present you with a balanced discussion of thought-provoking issues and suggest creative approaches and solutions to problems that arise in the practice of tort and insurance law. In this economic downturn, attorneys are tempted to resign from bar associations. That's a grave mistake. Bar Association is even more valuable today than it has ever been before. It will pay for itself in real life and long-term rewards. Networking with bar members not only provides prospects for new clients, but new career opportunities. As an illustration of this, my co-host, Jill Mariani, a former chair of the Animal Law Committee, discusses forging a career in the practice of animal law with Joyce Tischler, the founder and general counsel of the Animal Legal Defense Fund. You will be amazed at the number of ways you can engage in this practice area. The title of this podcast is Forging a Career in the Practice of Animal Law. Today I will be speaking with Joyce Tischler, the founder and general counsel of the Animal Legal Defense Fund, also known as ALDF. Thank you for being with us today, Joyce. Well, thank you for having me, Jill. Joyce, tell us about the ALDF. Animal Legal Defense Fund is a national nonprofit organization that works to protect the lives and advance the interests of animals through the legal system. I served as ALDF's first staff attorney as well as its executive director from 1981 through 2005, helping to build the organization as well as this new area of the law that we call animal law. Certainly a lot has changed since you've entered the field of animal law many years ago. Can you give our audience some of the highlights? Well, my answer to that question could take hours. Uh, In fact, I'm currently writing a law review article on the history of animal law. But here's a shot. In the late 1970s, we formed ALDF, and there were just a handful of identifiable attorneys and law students in animal law. Uh, Henry Mark Holzer, who was then a professor at Brooklyn Law School, held the first animal law conference in 1981. There were only 60 people in the room, and half of them were lawyers. And at that time, there were no animal law classes, there were no student chapters, no case books, no ABA section, no other bar association sections or committees. It was literally a blank page. Compare that to today, animal law is being taught at 97 law schools. There are 121 law student groups, including three in Canada. There are two case books, the ABA TIPS Animal Law Committee, 17 state bar sections and committees, and 10 regional bar sections and committees. There are many more opportunities for attorneys and law students interested in the practice of animal law to receive training and resources, and more are forming all the time. Wow, that is some progress. Joyce, animal law has been recently reported on the Internet as a number two hot job opportunity. Well, where are those hot jobs? The most obvious direction a lawyer can take in the pursuit of a career in animal law is to work for one of the animal protection groups. In 1980, there were about a half dozen attorneys employed by animal protection organizations. Today, most of the large national and an increasing number of regional and local animal protection organizations employ lawyers in a variety of capacities as litigators, lobbyists, corporate counsel, general counsel, and program staff. What are some of those organizations? I can give you two examples. 
The Humane Society of the U.S. employs 10 attorneys in its Animal Protection Litigation Unit, and an additional 20 attorneys work elsewhere within the agency. Under the direction of Jonathan Lovern, HSUS attorneys such as Sarah Conant are focused on litigation to strengthen protections for farmed animals. My organization, Animal Legal Defense Fund, employs seven lawyers in addition to outside counsel. These plum jobs provide attorneys with the opportunity to develop cutting-edge legal theories and handle cases at the forefront of animal law. Can you give us some others? As general counsel for Compassion Over Killing, Cheryl Leahy works full-time targeting large-scale cruelty to farmed animals using animal cruelty statutes and false advertising laws. This year, for example, COK sued the United Egg Producers and an egg factory farm in New Jersey for consumer fraud for their continued use of the Animal Care Certified logo, a logo that was misleading and was to be discontinued as of April 2006. Robin Bernstein at Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine uses litigation to support alternatives to animal testing and to communicate the benefits of a plant-based diet. What type of cases do these lawyers work, Joyce? Sarah Ullman of HSUS has a lawsuit against Hudson Valley Foie Gras, the largest producer of foie gras in the country for violations of the Federal Clean Water Act. Scott Heiser of Animal Legal Defense Fund spent 17 years as a prosecutor in the state of Oregon. He currently assists prosecutors handling cruelty cases throughout the U.S. Peter Peterson of HSUS has a mandamus action in Pennsylvania to stop the canned hunting of wild boars. Joyce, you mentioned the role of general counsel. What is the role of general counsel in an animal protection organization? As general counsel of Animal Legal Defense Fund, I handle some of the standard general counsel duties, such as reviewing contracts, but I also oversee our litigation program, which means I have the opportunity to plan not only our annual lawsuits, but to engage in big-picture thinking about how we can achieve greater protections in the next 5, 10, or 20 years. Dan Kinberg, the general counsel of PCRM, is leading lawsuits against the Atkins Diet Group for allegedly misleading the public about the safety of its high-fat, high-meat diet. George, you also mentioned lobbyists. What would a lobbyist do for these organizations? Well, the Animal Law Committee's vice chair, Lady Van Cabbage, is employed by the ASPCA. She does lobbying work on the state level, focusing on nine states in the Midwest. She drafts legislation and spearheads its passage. You can have a significant impact in this area. For example, Leedy has been successful through the ASPCA in getting over 20 bills passed in the Midwest that have improved the humane treatment of animals. Of course, not everyone interested in this area can find employment in the sector or can devote their entire legal career in this direction. So, Joyce, what other suggestions do you have? If you plan to work or already are working with a larger law firm, encourage the firm to allow you to devote your pro bono time to animal law. Some of the most prestigious firms in the U.S., such as Weill Gottschall, DLA Piper, Morrison and Forster, are doing pro bono work for ALDF and for HSUS. And we find that when they ask for volunteers, a surprising number of their associates and partners want to get involved in these animal protection cases. Our pro bono counsel in these large firms is working on a variety of projects, from in-depth research to the development of major impact litigation to filing amicus briefs. We rely heavily on pro bono legal counsel, as does HSUS. I imagine another traditional path is teaching. Could you comment on the opportunities in this area, Joyce? 
Jill, there are many opportunities to teach animal law or to mentor law students. Currently, animal law is being taught at 97 law schools. If you live near a law school that doesn't currently teach animal law and you're willing to serve as an adjunct professor, contact ALDF and we will work with you to introduce the class. If you live near a law school that has a student chapter of ALDF, offer to serve as their mentor, developing research projects for the students or other activities that help build the field of animal law. For more information, you can check our website, www.aldf.org, under the resources section. Where are these classes being taught? Throughout the country, actually. On the West Coast, Bruce Wagman is teaching animal law at Stanford, Hastings, Bolt, which is UC Berkeley, and USF. Tammy Bryant teaches animal law at UCLA. Adam Karp is teaching at the University of Washington. On the East Coast, Dana Campbell is teaching at Cornell. Steve Wise is teaching summer courses at Vermont Law School, as well as Lewis and Clark on the West Coast. In the Midwest, uh, David Faber at Michigan State University, College of Law, was the first tenured professor to teach animal law. Rebecca Huss at Valparaiso in Indiana was the first law professor to get tenure at a law school based on her teaching animal law. She also teaches other courses relating to business law. That's just a partial list. And let me proudly add that Rebecca Huss and David Faber are vice chairs of the Animal Law Committee. Another interesting fact, Jill, is that Rebecca Huss was selected to serve as the guardian special master to determine the fate of the forfeited pit bull dogs in the Michael Vick prosecution. That's right, Joyce. And I should also add that my predecessor of the Animal Law Committee, Chair Christina Hancock, is a transactional tax attorney in San Diego, and she teaches as an adjunct professor of animal law at the California Western School of Law. Also, we have uh, Animal Law Committee Chair Designee Joan Schaffner, a tenured professor at George Washington Law School in Washington, D.C., teaches animal law in addition to other litigation courses. You know, an interesting fact about Joan, she has spearheaded the efforts to create the new animal law section in the American Association of Law Schools and she's going to be its founding chair. We have a lot of exciting things happening. Joyce, uh, there are people who are like me who are employed in a totally different field of legal work. How can we apply our skills to this new practice area? Well, there are several ways. For example, I know an attorney who is employed as a county corporation counsel. She provides legal counsel to the county human services department, yet she's been able to focus on a surprising amount of animal law. For example, when the local humane society, which is under contract with the county, seizes an animal based on an alleged violation of the anti-cruelty law, the owner is notified of their right to contest the seizure. And within the scope of her paid position, this attorney files a petition asking the court to transfer ownership of the animal to the humane society. Uh, when the local city attorney brings a dangerous dog case, the Board of Health has to hold an administrative hearing, and again, this attorney is assigned to serve as the attorney for the Board of Health and to advise the board, uh, draft the board's decision. Uh, she also advises the County Department of Land and Water Resources, and she recently drafted ordinances regulating aspects of confined animal feeding operations located within the county. You know, every municipality of any size has some animal law-related work, and if you were to choose this route, you can find out where that animal law work is and offer it to handle it. And, and you may be surprised at how much animal-related work you can actually get engaged in. 
That's a fascinating example. Can you think of others? Criminal prosecutors can choose to aggressively prosecute animal cruelty cases. They sometimes laughingly get known as the, as the doggy DA, but they can incorporate a lot of cruelty prosecutions into their regular criminal practice. Michelle Welsh, also a vice chair of the Animal Law Committee, is an assistant attorney general in the Sexually Violent Predator Tobacco Alcohol and Gaming Division of the Attorney General's Office in Virginia. She is the point person for all animal law questions in Virginia. Brooklyn DA Charles Hines in New York City, recognizing the importance of prosecuting crimes committed against animals and the connection between animal cruelty and other crimes, assembled a high-level team to coordinate the prosecution of crimes against animals and to ensure that charges of cruelty or fighting are included when the defendant is charged with other crimes. And this team includes Arlene Markarian, the Bureau Chief of the Elder Abuse Unit. She works with attorneys in the Domestic Violence Bureau to prosecute animal cruelty alongside other acts of family violence. There's also Deputy DA Carol Moran, who coordinates the fighting, cruelty, and neglect cases throughout that office and conducts training about case development and the link between cruelty and violence against people and animals. Robert Ferber on the West Coast has been a prosecutor for the L.A. City Attorney's Office for close to 30 years. In 2001, with the support of the elected L.A. City Attorney, Rocky Del Gadio, Ferber created what is believed to be the first specialized animal cruelty prosecution unit in the U.S. It's called the L.A. City Attorney Animal Protection Unit. In addition to exclusively prosecuting animal cruelty cases, Ferber has implemented a wide range of animal protection projects. And I'd like to add that Robert M. Morgenthau, the Manhattan District Attorney, also has a vehicle for the intake of animal cruelty cases. Now, the million-dollar question, Joyce. Can a lawyer earn a living in the private sector concentrating on animal law? The sharpest increase in the number of paid animal law practitioners has been in the private for-profit sector. I'll give you examples. Adam Karp of Seattle, Washington, focuses solely on personal injury and custody cases relating to animals. Julie Firstman in Michigan has a practice in equine law. Len Egert and Amy Trukinski of New York have a varied practice, including they've challenged bear hunts, they've assisted SPCAs to prosecute cruelty cases, Cases. They've represented animal activists facing criminal charges, and they've done and continue to do doggy death row cases. A firm in Washington, D.C., Meyer, Glitzenstein, and Crystal is a public interest firm. They represent a coalition of animal protection groups. They're currently suing the Ringling Brothers, alleging that the negative ways that Ringling handles elephants constitutes a take under the Endangered Species Act. Has anyone been able to implement this practice of animal law into a national firm? There is Bruce Wagman, who's a partner in the firm of Schiff Harden, and his practice is entirely devoted to animal law. He also teaches as an, as an adjunct at four law schools in the Bay Area, and he's one of the authors of the Animal Law Casebook. Of course, it's probably feasible to expand one's law practice to include animal law as a significant component of one's practice. Can you think of some examples of people who have accomplished this? Yes. Uh, there's Peggy Hoyt in Florida who specializes in estate planning, and she's authored a book called All My Children Wear Fur Coats, which explains estate planning for animals, and it's put in layperson language. Barbara Gislason in Minnesota, the founding chair of the Animal Law Committee, practices in the area of family law and has broadened her practice to include animal law and not just pet custody cases. 
Joyce, what are some other career paths? Well, sometimes one thing leads to another. Mina Alagab, who once practiced as a corporate and securities lawyer, did a lot of volunteer work for a local animal shelter in New York City when she was actively involved with the Bar Committee, and she still is, I believe. That led her to get a master's degree in animals and public policy from Tufts University School of Vet Medicine. And that led her to become a paid consultant for a group called the Animal Welfare Trust. And that led her to become the executive director of HART, which stands for Humane Education Advocates Reaching Teachers. It's a nonprofit agency whose mission is to foster compassion and respect for other human beings, animals, and the environment by educating youth and teachers in humane education. Isn't that interesting? And I should say that that led Mina to become the uh, chair-elect of the Animal Law Committee. Right. Another example is Jane Hoffman, who is the president of the Mayor's Alliance for New York City's Animals. That's a not-for-profit that is working with the city of New York toward the day when no New York City dog or cat is killed merely because he or she does not have a home. Jane's work with the New York City Bar Association in connection with an animal sheltering conference in 2000 caused her to write a memo that turned into the Mayor's Alliance. And that led to Jane receiving a multi-million dollar grant from the Maddie Fund. In fact, her pro bono work and moderating of programs for the New York City Bar Association enabled her to meet and network with various groups and individuals, and that eventually helped her to form the Mayor's Alliance. And I'd like to add that Jane Hoffman was the first recipient of the Animal Law Committee's Excellence in the Advancement of Animal Law. And in fact, she was the impetus for the formation of the first Animal Law Committee in the country, the Legal Issues Pertaining to Animals Committee at the New York City Bar Association. That's a good point, Jill. The formation of the Animal Law Committee at your local or state bar is another way to promote the field of animal law. In addition to forming the ABA TIPS Animal Law Committee, for example, Barbara Gislason formed the Minnesota Bar's Animal Law Section. Stephanie Nichols-Young, who was formerly on our board of directors, also formed the Arizona Bar Animal Law Section, and Adam Karp formed the section in Washington State. And it's really vitally important to the growth of animal law that we see more and more of these state, regional, local bar associations. Joyce, what can law students do to become involved in animal law? Law students can do a great deal. If you are going to a law school that already has a student law group, join it and become actively involved. If there is no student group, form one. If you're going to a law school that has an animal law course, obviously you're going to want to take the course. But if there is no course, petition to introduce one. Students can become involved in a number of activities. There are currently four animal law journals and all are looking for submissions of scholarly articles. You can host an event or a conference at your law school, or you can become part of an environmental or other ongoing event. For example, at Stanford Law School, the animal law students participate in that school's Shaking the Foundations Progressive Lawyering Conference. They put on a panel of experts on animal law. Joyce, what closing thoughts would you want to give our audience? If you want to practice animal law, be proactive. The field of animal law is young, but it is growing fast. I frequently meet law students who entered law school in order to practice animal law, and I'm meeting more and more attorneys who are building careers that enable them to help and protect animals in ways that are exciting and innovative. The key to finding those hot jobs is to be creative, flexible, and open to new possibilities. Thank you, Joyce. For more information about the Animal Law Committee, please visit www.abanet.org forward slash tips forward slash animal. This is John Tarpley again. This interview is a series co-produced by the Animal Law Committee and ABA Publishing. Other interviews can be found on the TIPS webpage. Please join the Animal Law Committee when Joyce Tischler is presented with the Excellence in the Advancement of Animal Law Award at the 2009 Annual ABA Meeting in Chicago this summer.
The award reception will be held on Saturday, August 1st at 4 p.m. at the Marriott Hotel on the Miracle Mile. While we're in Chicago, sign up for one or more of the section's excellent CLE programs and register for the TIPS evening reception on the 99th floor of the Willis Tower on Friday, July 31st, and its leadership and award dinner at the John G. Shedd Aquarium on Sunday, August 2nd. The American Bar Association continues to be the largest professional membership organization in the world. TIPS is one of the largest sections of the ABA with over 35,000 members. Join TIPS to discover its advantages. It will be one of the most important career decisions you'll ever make. Thanks for listening to this edition of Legal Tips. We hope you'll listen to the rest of this special series brought to you by the Tort Trial and Insurance Practice Section of the American Bar Association. Legal Tips is produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network.